You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Are you warm today? Yeah, that's great. It's, it's good and warm in here. And uh, we are in a series on the Gospel of Luke. I'm Pastor Jason, and I get to, to lead us today. Um, we've, been, we've been traveling along in Luke's story of who Jesus is, and we've been noticing a number of things. We've been noticing that there's a unique work of the Holy Spirit. As Jesus comes and he enters the world, there's also the presence of the Holy Spirit, and the presence of the Holy Spirit begins to draw people around Jesus, and it begins to, um, the Spirit begins to, to move in people's hearts in new ways, ways that other people hadn't anticipated. Same time, one of the things that we notice, one of the particulars of that movement of the Spirit is that women seem to be interested in Jesus, and Jesus has a, a special heart for women. Last week, Pastor Bob talked about how there was a, a woman who, who uh, just longed to, to be close to Jesus, and, and she did something for Jesus. She washed his, his feet with her hair and with her tears in a way in which I just reflected the, the profound welcome that Jesus gave to people as he walked along this earth, but also to women in particular. And next week, we're going we're gonna to hear another story about a, a woman who needs some healing in her life, and she reaches out to Jesus. But today, as we pick up in Luke chapter 8, we're going to encounter three other women who go on a trip with Jesus, who who hear Jesus tell a parable. It's one of the interesting things about these, these women. They, they trust Jesus. They find Jesus trustworthy. He doesn't take advantage of people, especially the women who come around him. He honors them. Pastor Jim asked me to remind him today to give him a public service announcement that he's supposed to pick his wife up at 3.30 from the airport. Now, if Pastor Jim wants to be like Jesus, he's going to pick his wife up at 3.30 from the airport today. So if you see Pastor Jim, would you help me remind him to pick his wife up at 3.30 from the airport today? Because he wants to be like Jesus. Well, Jesus, Luke tells us these words. Soon after Jesus had been at the home where the woman washed uh, his feet with her hair, soon after that, Jesus began a tour of nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, Joanna, the wife of of Cusa, Herod's business manager, and Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. In that opening uh, entryway, we see Jesus getting ready to go on a journey, and he's going to take the message of the kingdom of heaven to towns in the region of Galilee. And he's got the 12 disciples. Earlier in the gospel, Luke tells us how he selected the 12. But then Luke says that he's going to take a bunch of women with him too because women can be disciples of Jesus. It's not new to us, but it's new to the people in Jesus' day. It's not new 
to us because we know a lot of women who are disciples of Jesus, and beautifully so. But in Jesus' day, it was a new work of God that was afoot. And so Luke says there were many who were going to go, and he picks out three, and he names three in particular, Mary, Mary Magdalene. And there are some people who look at Mary, and they think that Mary um, maybe had a, a unique backstory. In fact, in some people's minds, though the Gospels don't necessarily draw this out in particular, it seems that in some people's minds, Mary may have been a, a woman of the night. But Luke, instead of telling us that story, Luke tells us that she was somebody who was afflicted with demonic powers in her life. Seven, in, in fact, in particular. And Jesus drove those out, and so Mary is open, and she's reflect. I mean, she's, she loves Jesus for who he is and for what he's done. And then there's Joanna. And there's uh, Susanna. Both of these women who follow Jesus are women who have means. They are part of the support group that, that go with Jesus. They both have access to resources. And not only do they have access to resources, but Joanna in particular has political contacts. She's somebody who has, is connected to people in places of power and authority. <clears throat> There is, when we look at this reality of the women who come around Jesus in the reflection of who they are, there is no particular mold as to whom Jesus is looking for as an ideal disciple, as an ideal follower of him. Sometimes in our own space, in our own time, in our own place where we live right now, we develop expectations about who can really be a follower of Jesus. In fact, um, if you take a look at the news, you take a look at social media, you take a look at, well, just in regular conversation with some folks, we can begin to develop ideas, uh, ideas and ideals of, of what a, a follower of Jesus really looks like. We can build a box. We can build a prototype. We can build a mold. But notice that Jesus doesn't ask everybody to, to look like Peter or John or James. He just talks about what God wants to do in their life and how God loves them and how God cares for them. And how they're meant to be somebody who follows after him. If there's any mold at all in terms of following after Jesus, it's to become like him, not like somebody else. C.S. Lewis said, and he pointed to this, and I don't know, any of you ever watched Mr. Bean? You like Mr. Bean? Any of you ever seen Mr. Bean Goes to Church, which is like one of the earliest Mr. Beans out there? If you haven't seen it, go home and watch it today on YouTube. Pull it up. It, it will put some life into your story. Because it plays out, what C.S. Lewis was talking about, plays out Mr. Bean's when he goes to church. But Lewis said, you know, one of the great difficulties we have, one of the great discouragements that we have in following after Christ is that when we come to church or we, we're walking and we're following after Christ, instead of watching him, we so often turn to one another and we look to the sides, to the people that were around, and we begin to make comparisons. When Mr. Bean goes to church, he's sitting in a, in a pew in an Anglican service and and people are asked to stand and sing, and they have hymn books, you know, and they stand with their hymn book, and they sing, and most of the people singing around Mr. Bean are singing off key. It's not a beautiful sound. 
it's not a pretty sound. And, and if you ever have people like that who sing off key around you, you can begin to you know, find yourself in a comparative place. But oftentimes, we begin to compare, not by looking at so much of the failures of others, but the failures of ourselves and the success of others. Others are following Christ in great way. We think, boy, if they just knew my own story, how I was failing. It's a narrative that oftentimes we run with. It's not supposed to be like that. When we look at the faces of Mary and Joanna and Susanna, we're supposed to see people with whom Jesus is working. And he's loving. And he's simply saying, wherever you're at, you just come follow after me. Keep your eyes focused on me. Do what you see me doing. Love who you see me loving. Let the other things take care of themselves. So that's who's on tour with Jesus. And while they're on tour, Jesus does what he's been doing all along. He's been teaching. And he's been showing to others who travel with him and to crowds what the kingdom of heaven is like. And so here, one day, Luke says, Jesus told a story in the form of a parable to a large crowd that had gathered from many towns to hear him. A farmer, he said, went out to plant his seed as he scattered it across the field Some seed fell on a footpath where it was stepped on, and the birds ate it. Other seed fell among rocks, and it began to grow, but the plant soon wilted and died for lack of moisture. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up with it and choked out the tender plants. Still other seed fell on fertile soil. This seed grew and produced a crop that was a hundred times as much as had been planted. When he said this, he called out, "'Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand.'" The disciples asked him what this, par- what this parable meant, and he replied this, You're permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God, but I use parables to teach the others so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they look, they won't really see, and when they hear, they won't understand. This is the meaning of the parable, he says. The seed is God's word. The seeds that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. The seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while. Then they fall away when they face temptation. The seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. And so they never grow into maturity. And the seeds that fall on the good soil represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it, and patiently produce a huge harvest. Jesus talks about four different kinds of soils at the beginning of that passage. And if you've ever been to the land of Israel, around the Sea of Galilee and the region of Galilee, you know that there is a lot of really good soil. And they grow a lot of they grow a lot of food for themselves today, and in fact, Israel, this really small country, grows 50% of Europe's fruits and vegetables. It's an amazing, amazing output. But there's lots of different soils, and when Jesus is, is talking to the crowd that's gathered, 
He wants to convey something of the kingdom of God and in a way that they can understand it and grasp it. And yet in a way in which there's things that they normally see that are just turned a little bit different. So that instead of the thing that they expect, they've got to really work on it and they've got to wonder what is God up to and what's God saying. And so Jesus talks about the soils and he notices maybe he's looking on a hillside and there's somebody up there sowing some seed. Maybe it's springtime and they're, they're on that hillside casting seed in many different places. So Jesus begins to talk about how the kingdom of heaven is received like this. The disciples, they, they, they don't quite get it, so they ask Jesus to unpack it, and so he does. He says the f- kinds of soil that that seed is going to land on, that can reflect our hearts. It can be like a mirror to us about where we're at and how we respond to the kingdom of heaven. The first soil that he talks about is, is the soil that's like a hard path. It's a well, in some ways, it's a soil that's got road blocked. There's like everything that hits it is just bounces off. You can't go there. The message of the kingdom of heaven doesn't, doesn't connect in that moment. Who Jesus is is something that is resisted to a point. This last week, I was <clears throat> at an event, and I had my name tag on. and On my name tag, it says Dr. Jason Leininger. And so uh, the person who was at the event said, you're a doctor. I said, I am. He said, uh, what did you get a doctorate in? I said, preaching and leadership. He said, uh, do you have to do research for that? As if uh, no research is needed. And I said, I did. And I said, so I looked at it. He said, he listened to that for a moment. And then he said, don't you think religion is just kind of unnecessary? Don't you think it's just kind of like an opiate for the masses, like it just pacifies us? Like, very interesting. I didn't see this discussion going in that direction. Tell me more. And he went on to to unpack for me. In fact, he went on to say where his mom had taken him and his siblings to church when they were young growing up. And all the things that he knew and and how he objected, he's like, I think it's just all a big waste of time. I think we shouldn't even spend time thinking about it. And I was able to ask him at that moment, I said, but you think about it, right? He said, oh, every day I think about it. I said, well, that leaves you at a perplexing place, doesn't it? Because here's this element that you want to reject, and you say you don't even want to explore, and yet it's, it's in your mind, it's in your head. I suggested to the young person I was talking with that if they wanted to unpack it some more, I'd be happy to talk some more. The reality is, is that there are places, there are people who, when you share about your own life, in the life of God, they, they don't find it interesting. They're not enamored. In fact, because of where they've been, because of this, some of the circumstances in their own life, the thing that they want to avoid at all measure is your understanding of life with God. Maybe some of us, in fact, in here, we're here because, quite frankly, our hearts are a little bit like that too. I find it fascinating how Jesus simply has mercy with people. 
Jesus has mercy with people in all stages of where their heart is at. And he gives himself to people who have hard hearts. We can do the same too. Jesus talks about the rocky soil. He says, there is seed that is sown out from the sower. This is a picture from Israel. And what you see in the center there is a big pile of rocks. Because they've captured all these rocks out of the field. And they've put them in a row. Jesus knows what it's like to throw stuff on rocky soil. He says that at first stuff will grow, right? But then it, it withers out. You ever been hiking in the mountains and you see like a lone tree standing on a big rock? And it's really incredible, right, to see one tree that's been able to put its roots down and find some water somewhere and grow. And yet think about all the other seed that's been thrown on that rock and doesn't grow. Jesus described the seed that, that lands itself on rocky soil as like seed that <clears throat> sprouts up quickly and there's lots of joy and there's lots of fervor and then, and then it dies because it doesn't have a, a root. It can't put a root down. All of us are attracted to shiny things, aren't we, at some level? And sometimes when we hear about the love of God, we're like, Jesus loves me, I'm going to follow after him. And yet, then we come along a place to where, the, where Jesus says, and you know what, if you want to follow me, you've got to take up your cross and follow me. And you're like, whoa, didn't see that one coming. Can I back out of this deal? I don't know if I'm ready for that. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, You'll experience the love and the joy and the wonder of God, but you've got to take up your cross and follow me. I don't know if I, I can go down that road. And so we draw back. We pause. And at some point, the gospel can wither in our own minds, in our own hearts. And yet Jesus would say to us, it's okay to pause, but keep listening to me. Keep following after me. Notice that when I say take up your cross and follow, that when I do it, I do it myself too. And the cross isn't the end. The cross isn't the place where things stop, where the story ends. We sang a song earlier about how God makes all things new. He makes all things new. How is it? Well, because in the story of Jesus, he goes to the cross and he goes to, and then we come to the empty tomb because Christ is resurrected. He makes all things new. So when we hear about the kingdom, we hear about Jesus' invitation to follow after him, we've got to take up some things and we, we can't be dissuaded when life gets hard. We can't pause or stop or opt out because we think it's going to be an easy road. I've been watching... Uh, a little bit. Some of the folks who are taking the Bible Made Simple. Anybody in here taking the Bible Made Simple on Wednesday night? Some of the folks that are, that are doing it, they're finding, they're responding to the call of Christ, and then they're taking their Bibles, and they're spending like an hour a day in terms of in reading the Scripture. There's got to be a, a work that happens in our own life to come after Jesus and follow after Him. We have to be people who expose ourselves to all that God has said to us and all that God is saying and walk in those ways. Jesus then talks about another kind of soil. He talks about the soil that's the thorny soil. 
where things, the seed is sown and it's really good soil, and yet the seed not only grows up, but the weeds grow up all around it. That's Doc from uh, Back to the Future. Every time I read about Jesus or hear the story that Jesus says about the different kinds of soil, I actually go back into a point in my own childhood, and that point in my childhood makes me think of this picture uh, with Doc with his glasses on. And I told Taylor that I'd really love to find a picture of Doc with a big cloud of dust around him. Because at one point in my childhood, I walked out to the back of, of our farm, my dad was combining soybeans. And in this part of the farm where he was combining soybeans, there was really good soil, really rich soil. And there was this dust that was just enveloping the combine that my dad was in. And if you really wanted to see, you had to have goggles like that. You had to, because the dust would just envelop your eyes. <clears throat> that spring and summer, my dad had planted soybeans in this place. And they sprouted and they grew. But he, it rained so much that he wasn't able to get in and to, to get the weeds out. And so ragweed grew up, giant ragweed. Some of you know the power of ragweed. It's the bane of your existence in the summertime, right? But there was ragweed that was like 10 feet tall, and it was just enormous, and it covered everything. I said, Dad, why are you doing this? Why are you, like, going through all of this weeds to, to get some some, a few beans. He's like, well, there's still beans in the midst of that. So I'm still going to go through it, but a few, just a few. I think of <clears throat> Jesus talking about the soil that receives the seed of the kingdom of God. and It grows up, and yet there's thorns that grow up with it too. Oftentimes, I don't know if you have this challenge in your life, but I like to say yes to things, and I struggle with saying no to things. And so you can hear Jesus call you, and yet uh, there's all kinds of things you want to take with you on the journey. There's all kinds of things that you want to pack into the trunk, and you're like, I'm going to take it all. And yet because you say yes to a lot of things in life, and you don't say no to anything, the stuff that's not necessarily important and deep and good. That stuff can always find its way to the back burner where the stuff that's immediate, the stuff that requires our attention, tends to come to the front. And Jesus said the way of the kingdom is a slow kind of growth. The path that he's asked us to follow on isn't something that's immediate or fast. And so the immediate can crowd out the good. Finally, Jesus comes down to the last piece of ground that he describes, the good ground, that receives the soil, and he says about it, the seeds that found the good soil represent honest and good-hearted people who hear God's word and cling to it and patiently produce a huge harvest. What's the harvest of the soil? It's the harvest of joy and peace and righteousness, of holiness and happiness. It's the understanding that when we follow after Jesus, everything isn't pretty in the moment. 
Sometimes there's a lot of rocks that have to be cleared out of our life. Sometimes there's things that we have to say no to. Sometimes we have to be really patient. Because what we hope for in the immediate is something that just takes time. And we have to wait for God to do his work. Not only in us, but in the world at large. We have to wait for God to do God's work. And so when Jesus says follow, we follow. When Jesus says wait, we wait. When Jesus says do, we do. So Jesus says there are four kinds of hearts. Instead of comparing ourselves to one another, he gives us some pictures of hearts that we can compare our own hearts to. Is our heart hard? Is our heart easily wandering? Is our heart filled with all kinds of things and there's no place for the gospel? Is our heart good ground, ground that's ready to grow, ready to follow after God? What kind of heart is your heart? It's my heart. The disciples, they asked Jesus to explain this parable. Jesus talked about a number of things, but notice that there's one thing he didn't address. He didn't address who the sower was. Talked about the soils. Gave us an understanding that the seed is the word of God, but who's the sower? Well, the sower is God himself. And one of the things that I like to just sort of sit back and marvel at is the fact that God finds a way in Christ to put himself in, in, in front of every kind of heart. Whether it's a hard heart, a heart that's easily wandering, a heart that's full with all kinds of worries, or a heart that's open, Jesus finds a way to put himself in front of every kind of heart. And he has a way of reaching out to you and to me, whether we're ready for it at this moment or not, or if we'll be ready for it down the road. He has a way of standing in front of us and saying, follow after me. Come with me. Learn about the kingdom of heaven. Learn about the kingdom you're meant to live in. Kind Father, thank you for this day of worship. Thank you for a day when we can be together and we can hear about your call to us. Help us, we pray, to be like the women who followed after you. Help us to be people who rejoice that you keep coming to us regardless of the condition of our heart, and you keep inviting us to follow after you. Help us to be people who say yes. Amen.